Psalm 40, and this is our second week. In our last week in Psalm 40, we'll read the whole psalm together. It's page 566 in your pew Bibles, page 566. I'm reading from Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O oh my God, do not delay. Amen. Father, we thank you for 
your words. We thank you for the Scriptures. We, we remember that your Word speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we continue to pray the prayer that we have prayed, prayed in song. We continue to pray that as we sit under the authority of your Word, that our eyes would be opened to see something of the beauty and the greatness and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our ears would be opened, that through the weakness of my voice, we would hear the voice of our Lord, and that our hearts would be warmed to respond to that voice in wonder and with worship. And Father, may we, as we hear the voice of Jesus as we seek to respond. May we be made more into the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we honor him with all that we are and all that we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we took our first look at Psalm 40. David is in trouble And we don't know exactly when the psalm was written or what the circumstances that he was facing uh, were, but we do know that many are wanting to take David's life. People are wanting to kill him. And as you can imagine, he is frightened and he is troubled that so many people want David dead. So David does something very sensible in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of these frightening uh, uh, situations that surround him. He remembers, he remembers how God has delivered him in the past. He reminds himself that God has rescued him before. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And this remembrance leads him to a place of rejoicing. He rejoices in His God, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, he says. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. So having remembered this past deliverance and rejoiced in God, now David sees that what God requires, what God desires is not religious ritual, certainly not religious ritual in and of itself. What the Lord desires and what the Lord requires is not religious ritual, but it's real relationship. So he says, verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then verse 8, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Glad and grateful obedience to the Word of God and to the will of God 
flowing from an appreciation of the deliverance of God is what the Lord requires and what the Lord desires. A response, a glad and a grateful response to the goodness of God is what He requires. So, I wanted to take one more week in this psalm. There are plenty of other things I won't be able to say in these two weeks, but I wanted really to look at what David does throughout the psalm, but most clearly in verse 17. David says in verse 17, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. Do you see what David does there? He compares himself with his God. I am, you are. We are very good at comparing ourselves to other people. I used to play a game with Katie called Goodies and Baddies. And children's imagination is uh, so much more alive than adults' imagination. I think they say that your memory is the first thing to go, but actually, sadly, your imagination really is the first thing to go, I think. And uh, so, Katie's imagination would take us to all sorts of wonderful places, and there would be all sorts of amazing circumstances. Every time we played goodies and baddies, it was completely different, with the exception of one thing. Katie was always a goodie, and I was always a baddie. And we grow up and our imaginations do begin to, to dim. But we actually continue to do that same thing. So we read our newspapers and we watch the news and the television and we like to picture the baddies over there doing these terrible things. And we're always the goodies over here, aren't we? We always have people that we can look down on to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We are very good, very quick to compare ourselves to others, usually to compare ourselves favorably to others. But we seem much more reluctant to view ourselves in the presence of God. David has the wisdom to compare himself with God. So, my question for today is, who is David? And who is David's God? David, we know, has an exalted position. He is king over the people of God. He is clever. He is resourceful. He is brave. Remember, as a shepherd boy, he fought the lion and the bear, not to mention Goliath, this giant warrior. He is courageous. He's a gifted musician, singer, songwriter. He is the Ed Sheeran of his day, maybe the Chris Tomlin of his day, we might say. He is famous, so not only is he the one who writes songs, but he has had songs written about him. He has all of these things, and yet David still manages to realize and to recognize who he is before God. Firstly, he recognizes that he is a sinner. So, in verse 11, 
He doesn't ask for justice. He asks for mercy. He doesn't present himself before God as a victim. He doesn't indulge in self-pity. It can be so easy for us to do that, can't it? It can be so addictive and so destructive, self-pity. David doesn't give himself over to that. He recognizes that he is a sinner before God, and it looks likely that his wrongdoing has in some way helped to get himself into this mess. David takes responsibility for that. Verse 12, for troubles without number surround me. And he doesn't say, it's so unfair. It's so unreasonable. He says, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Who is David? David is a sinner before God. And though he is a king, he is poor and needy. Verse 17, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. He knows his poverty and he recognizes his need. Maybe the circumstances that David is in have helped him to that end. Maybe they've brought him back to his senses. Sometimes suffering can be our best friend because it strips away any false sense of strength that we have in ourselves. When we are young and healthy and fit and well and popular and have money in the bank or parents who have money in the bank, then we are in danger because we can fall into the trap of thinking that actually we're okay by ourselves. We can think of ourselves as being invincible. We can think that we are safe and secure without the gods who created us and who sustains us, without the gods who gifts us every beat of our heart and every breath in our lungs. Pain seems pointless. I'm sure we are all old enough to have suffered. And pain often seems utterly pointless. But the Bible reminds us time and time again that there is purpose in our pain. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, says the Apostle Paul, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Sometimes as a, as a pastor, you come alongside people who are in great suffering, far beyond their ability to endure. And they are puzzled. They are confused. They are frustrated because they, they think this is not what God promised them. They think God, that God promised them not to give them more than they could endure. But actually, this is common for the people of God to suffer beyond our ability to endure, or, or at least beyond our ability to endure in our own strength. We will all at times uh, in our lives suffer in such a way that we know we have come to the end of ourselves. We have no strength left and we just have to 
to throw ourselves upon the grace and the mercy of God. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. That's Paul speaking, but it sounds like David in verse 12 of our psalm, doesn't it? My heart fails within me. Indeed, says Paul, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So, Paul recognizes that there is purpose in his pain. doesn't make it easy, but it still makes all the difference to know that actually God is working in the midst of what seems so chaotic and so difficult and so painful. Now, we ought to say that pain is a result of the fall We look forward to the day when we will suffer no more, but we also, in the midst of that, affirm that suffering can be a very powerful tool in the hand of God. Maybe the circumstances that David finds himself within have helped him to see that though he is a king, Actually, he is poor and needy. And it is when we see our poverty and our need, it is when we know our inability to rescue ourselves, it is when we know that we have nothing more to offer, that we are so much more inclined to come to God in humility, almost in desperation, and find His mercy and His grace and His love. So, we can think of those who came to Jesus like that, knowing their needs, knowing their inability to make that which was wrong right. And we can think of how the Lord Jesus Christ received those people. We can think of the woman with bleeding. She had turned to all the doctors. She had done everything within her power to try and fix this problem and nothing had worked. And so, one day Jesus is in her vicinity, and she fights her way through the crowds just to touch the hem of His robe to be healed, and she is healed. Jesus knows that some power has gone from Him, and He turns around in the midst of this crowd with everyone, you know, bustling about, shoulders being rubbed against one another, and He says, who touched me? And at this, the woman is is fearful. She's frightened. She thinks that she's about to be rebuked. She thinks that Jesus is about to give her into trouble. But eventually, when Jesus' eyes meet the eyes of this woman, He commends her for her faith. He doesn't rebuke her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She knew her poverty, she knew her need, and she reached out to Jesus, and He welcomed her. We can think of the blind beggar who shouted, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
and he was rebuked by those who surrounded Jesus, those who followed Jesus. This was not what he should have done, and so, according to the culture and the custom of the day, so they rebuked him. But this blind beggar knew his needs. He knew his inability to meet, meet this need. He knew his poverty, as it were. And he knew that Jesus was there today. Tomorrow, Jesus may not be there. This may be the one opportunity he has to get the attention of Jesus. And so once again, he shouts, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he has given his sight and he is commended for his faith by Jesus. And still today, those who come to Jesus knowing their needs, knowing their inability to make that which is wrong right, those who come to Him in desperation and faith and call upon His name will be received by Jesus with open arms. The gospel is only good news to, to those who know that they need to be rescued by God. It is only received as good news by those who know their poverty and know their need before God. The gospel is not good news to those who are proud, to those who think that they are okay as they are. The proud have always rejected Jesus. It's those who see their poverty and who know their needs who receive the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with joy and with gratitude. So, I am a sinner, I am poor and needy, but, says David, you are my God. The Lord is firstly David's Lord and David's God. I am poor and needy, may the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. David's God isn't a theory. It's not a, there may be a God out there, up there, somewhere in the sky, and I'll kind of shout up there in the hope that whoever is there hears me. David's God is not a God he has made up in his own mind. If you look, I've, I've committed the cardinal sin of not bringing my Bible up. If you look at the, the times that David mentions the Lord in Psalm 40. So verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. Verse 3, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I wonder if you're beginning to notice something here. Verse 5, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. Verse 9, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. 11, do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. Verse 
13, be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. What do you notice about all of those lords? They are in capital letters, aren't they? I think there are six or seven of them there, and every single one capital letters. What does that mean? That means the Hebrew word is Yahweh. This is the name for God, revealed by God to Moses. I am Yahweh, the, the Israelites and the Jewish people were so concerned that they might speak this name in an unworthy fashion that they didn't speak it. So when they read Yahweh, they read Lord, they read Adonai instead. And so in our Bibles we have, when it says Yahweh, we have Lord capitalized. So this is the name of God. This isn't, I hope there's a God up there somewhere. This is the God who revealed himself to Moses. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God to whom David calls. And this Lord, Yahweh, is David's Lord. So there's one more mention of Lord in the last verse, verse 17, and it's not capitalized. May the Lord think of me. So this God, David's God, this Lord is David's Lord. David is saying, the Lord Yahweh is my Lord, Adonai. So we must remember that to affirm is also to deny. For David to call Yahweh God and Lord is to deny the divinity and the lordship of other false gods. And the same is true for us. To call the God of Scripture our God means denying the divinity of other so-called gods. Whether it's uh, the God of other religious beliefs, or whether it's the God of money, the God of power, the God of influence, the God of popularity. These are the idols that fill the pantheons of our day. To call Jesus Lord is to deny the lordship of all others. We ought to, as Christians, respect the authority of others who are above us, our leaders, we respect that authority, I hope. There may be many leaders, but there is one Lord. A throne, I'm not going to get into an argument about, about uh, pews and chairs, incidentally, don't worry. But a throne is not like a pew. You can cram a fair few people into a pew, but there's only room for one on a throne. And so who is on the throne of my life? And who is on the throne of your life? Who is your Lord? When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we pledge our allegiance to the King of Kings. And in so doing, we deny the lordship of all 
others. That's why the early Christians were martyred by the Roman Empire, because they recognized, Rome recognized that to say Jesus is Lord is to say Caesar is not Lord. Who is on the throne of your life? If it's Jesus, then we must deny the lordship of all others, even the lordship of ourselves. We are not the Lord of our own lives. That's what we proclaim in baptism, is it not? I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, says Paul, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. To say Jesus is Lord is no small thing. To say Jesus is Lord is to say I am not the Lord of my own life. Sorry, Mr. Sinatra, but I will not do it my way. I will do it His way. Jesus is Lord. And the whole Christian life really is working out what that means in our lives. To make Jesus Lord of our lives here in our church relationships, in our church family. And the world's quite comfortable, the world that we live in anyway, is quite comfortable with that. You can do your weird religious stuff in your church buildings with the spires on the top. But when you come out into our world, into our places of employment and the like, then conform. But the Christian life is working out what it means to make Jesus Lord of all of our lives. To make Jesus Lord in our lives when it comes to our homes, our families, to make Jesus Lord of our lives when it comes to our uh, work lives, to make Jesus Lord of our lives when it comes to our online lives in this day and age. That's what the Christian life is. May God help us to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in all, in all that we are, and in every area and every aspect of our lives, for His glory and for our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, God, Yahweh, is David's Lord and God. This same God is David's helper. We don't know who wrote Psalm 121, but it could well have been David, couldn't it? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. No matter how desperate things may seem to be, if we are in Christ, we can lift our eyes to the hills and know that the one who made these things, which are so awe-inspiring and so big and so enduring, the one who made these things is even bigger, even more enduring, and even more awe-inspiring. And He is our helper. He cares for us, He loves us, and He will help us. We are never beyond help, and so we are never beyond hope. The Lord is David's Lord and God. The Lord is David's helper. And lastly, the Lord is David's deliverer. He has rescued David in the past, and He will rescue him again in the future. And all of these things are true for the people 
of Jesus. The true and living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is our God. He is our deliverer. He has delivered us from sin, and He will deliver us from the fruit of sin, suffering and sorrow and sickness. Maybe that deliverance will come soon. Maybe we will have to wait till Jesus returns. That could be soon too. But the deliverance is coming. It is on its way. He is our God. He is our deliverer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we wait for that full deliverance to come, He is our helper. He is the one who invites us, the one who calls us, the one who commands us to come to Him and to cast our cares upon Him, assured that He cares for us. David was in trouble. He remembered past deliverances. He rejoiced in his God. He reflected on his weakness and his poverty before God, his deliverer, his helper, and he cried out to God, do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. God is all these things for us in Christ Jesus. He is our deliverer. He is our helper. He is our Lord and our God. And we can go so far as to say in Christ Jesus, He is our Father and our friend. So when we find ourselves needing forgiveness or help or hope in 2018 and beyond, remember that we ought to cry out to God assured of His love and His care and His compassion, assured that He will hear us and that He will help us. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymns. We pledge our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ by singing Jesus, all for Jesus.